Today's reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Mr. Murray, are we good? Sounds good? All right. My name is Josh Hepman, and I am the executive director at Grace Community Church. I have, uh, I've actually started and am fully functional as an executive director now. What that means, you'll have to ask people like Brooks and like Jason, um, maybe even like Jeff and like Rick and Gene, they could tell you. Um, but part of what it means, at least right now, is that, don't ask Melissa, um, is that I'm being evaluated for the role of executive pastor. And so part of that is I get to speak to you guys, part of that evaluation. So thank you for that opportunity. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight about chapter 12 of Hebrews. And Brooks spoke this morning on the same chapter. He emphasized some things that I will also emphasize he, he and I are going to emphasize different things tonight. I encourage you to listen to his message. It is a good companion, I think, but we're going to go in slightly different directions. One of the reasons that I want to go in a slightly different direction is because, while I don't know many of you well. I do know some of you, and I do know that suffering has impacted this congregation in a serious way. And so I want to talk about suffering tonight. Uh, Brooks talked about enduring discipline. I'm going to talk about enduring suffering and I think they're the same message, so hold on. In the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews are being told again and again why they shouldn't give up, why they should hold fast. And we've heard now in chapter 11 that there were all of these people uh, who did hold fast, who didn't give up, and they endured suffering. And yet the Hebrew the recipients of the letter are still in danger in their minds, right, of walking away, of going back to Judaism. They want to turn back because they want to avoid persecution, and still the author is saying, no, hold fast, hold on. But the question remains, why must we endure suffering? And I know that the scripture reading was just verses 1 through 7. We're going to all go all the way to verse 17, so hang on, buckle up, we'll make it, it'll be good. Um, But why must we endure suffering? I'm going to give you, pardon me, I'm going to give you a couple of touch points uh, that we can hold on to. Think of them as uh, rocks, right, that you might grab a hold of. 
amidst trial and suffering, and they are these. That there is a faith, right, that we can cling to as we go through suffering. That we are legitimate sons and daughters, that we're legitimate children. Not only is our belief important, but our identity is as well. That our status as legitimate children comes with care and with attention. And then also that our Father designed us to work with and for each other as members of the body of Christ. In this marathon of life, we are not designed to run alone. So these three things we'll come back to over the course of this message, and I want to give you a forecast of where we're going. And if you would, let's pray. God, I praise you for this opportunity to open up your word tonight. I thank you so much for your faithful gift to us of revelation throughout generations, throughout thousands of years, Lord, constantly telling us more and more of your story so that we can see, so that we could be prepared when you came and walked on this earth, and so we can be prepared when you come again. Lord, please speak through me. I pray that I would say only what you would have me say. I pray that uh, these people would hear only what you would have them hear. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We endure suffering as people of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, our belief, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is our faith, right? This is the core of our faith. If we are a people of faith, what do we say we believe? We say we believe this. But what do our actions say in reality? Do our actions bear out that this is what we believe? If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he does, then automatically we're part of a people of faith. But we may not feel like it. Our day-to-day actions may not describe it. When people look in at us, they may not see it. So what is it, what is it supposed to look like, this faith? Um, well, it looks like a coming together of peoples. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter says, in 1 Peter 2.10, he says, Once you were not a people, right, before we believed, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This example of a cloud of witnesses these are people who have received mercy over many generations, right? For, for certain, it is Hebrews chapter 11. It is those people who have received mercy. But now we, thousands of years later, can look back on Christian history and we can describe people who have received mercy, who have held fast, who have been uh, living examples of the faith for many generations. And they say to us, this cloud of witnesses, these people who have come before, that you can suffer, that you can die, that you can endure, that you can be disciplined. They describe a way of living in the faith for us. The race that they are on, that we are all on together, right? This is something that we believe, we run. This is something that we believe that we run by ourselves but it's not something that we run by ourselves. It's something that we believe that we run full of hardship, and that's true, but it's not actually to our detriment. In verse 1, I'm going to go back here a minute. It says we're to lay aside every weight which clings so closely, 
and run with endurance, and sin, I'm sorry, which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that's set before us. This race is a marathon and not a sprint. And we're told to run with endurance so we know that it's going to be something that's difficult, that takes time, that's hard over many years. And we know, based on what the Scripture tells us, that the sins that we face, that they're easily entangling sins, right? They're burdens that are... uh, it's, it's described as um, besetting sins in some passages, right? They're burdens that cling closely. So they're things not just that are big events that we encounter sometimes once in a while, but these are things that are uh, everyday sorts of sins, respectable sins even, depending on who you're with and what you're doing, right? Things like malice. Malice is a pretty respectable sin in our day and age. You can be full of malice and get away with it, right? Nobody's going to call you on it. Deceit. Everybody lies. I lie. You lie. This is something we do on a daily basis. I've often lied and thought, why did I lie? I didn't need to lie. Nobody was forcing me to lie, right? But I do it anyway out of some sort of sense of self-preservation. But what am I preserving myself for when I do that? Hypocrisy, slander, all these things trip us up. Idolatry, right, is going to take our eyes off of the finish line. So the race is long. It's got all of these different problems, all of these different trials along the way, and we're going to feel like dying before we feel like winning. That's what this race is all about. So we're still talking about our faith, and this passage right away in the first couple of verses, right, reminds us that the founder and perfecter, I think the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, is Jesus, right, who understands the joy of winning he, un- he understands before he goes to the cross what's waiting on the other side. He endures the shame. He's won, right? And the witnesses, the cloud of witnesses that we have from Scripture, that we have from Christian history, these people are co-laborers with us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we've got all of this in our faith. And I want to remind you of that tonight because as you go through suffering, what you believe matters, right? What you have faith in matters. This is the core of our faith. So the author of Hebrews, he takes a moment to point out that there are recipients of the letter. Uh, This is verse 4. I'm not going to dwell on verse 4, but I want to point out something important here before we go on. That there are those, um, I'm sorry, the people who have heard this message in Hebrews, they haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. And for most of us, that's the case too. We have not been called to shed uh, our blood or have our blood shed for the sake of Jesus' name. However, we have endured suffering. And we have had very difficult things happen in our lives. And for some of us, that's still coming, right? Uh, It's a not yet, but it will be. So many are called to suffer. Many are called to suffer serious pain and trial. And we don't know why. Case in point. In 2014, my fifth child was born. His name is Abram. He's not here tonight. He's about so big. He was born at Mercy Hospital to orient myself just down the road. And he, uh, while we were in the hospital with him, my other kids were staying with my mother-in-law, and she calls up and she says, Mariah, that's our oldest daughter, says, Mariah, five years old at the time, she's not feeling well. We said, okay, good to know. Thanks for letting us know. We didn't think much of it. Kids get sick. Mariah kept getting sick. She kept getting fevers. Her joints kept hurting. We took her to the doctor. Doctors couldn't figure it out. Doctors didn't know what to do. Fevers kept returning, kept staying. Uh, Finally, July 25th, uh, we took her to Mercy Hospital. And they drew her blood, and almost immediately they put us in an ambulance and sent us over to the university. And sometime in the night, I don't remember exactly when it was because it was late when we went to Mercy, but it was around 
midnight or so, they admitted us. They said, your daughter has leukemia. You're going to be here for a while. And like the sins that so easy, easily entangle us, right, that can lead to uh, this race feeling like a marathon and not a sprint, those are the exact words that the nurses use with us now like 3 o'clock in the morning. You need to plan on this being a marathon, not a sprint. You're looking at two and a half years of treatment. You're looking at every time your daughter has a fever, she needs to be admitted to the hospital. You're looking at 10 to 12 medicines a day. You're looking at giving her injections at home because we can't always do it the way you need to do it, when you need to do it, so we're going to have you do it at home. At the worst, it meant three weeks in the hospital, nonstop, almost four, spinal tap to make sure that the cancer wasn't in her spinal column and her brain fluid hadn't passed the blood-brain barrier. And the doctor's really worried because her fever wouldn't go down for days and days and days. That's extreme testing. Mariah is well now. Mariah is doing great now. But in the moment, we had no idea why that was happening. And in your moments, you have no idea why it's happening to you. But what we can know is that the chronic pain, the illness, the death that we can't explain those things, they're not all punishment for sin. Sin is causing suffering in this world. Sin and sinners both, right? Cancer is a result of a broken world. God did not desire for us to have that as a result of sin. But sin is not just punished with suffering for the believers, for us running this race. Jesus paid for our sin. He took care of the punishment, but the suffering remains. So why? The why is for discipline. It's because we're legitimate children. Hebrews 12, 4 through 6 says, In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted the point of shedding your blood. True. But we've suffered. Why? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure this suffering. That's why. God's treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which you all participated, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respected them. Should we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline them as seem best. He disciplines us for our good to share his holiness. We know that if we confess our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. That's our faith. But more, we are God's children. Hebrews says here in 12.5 and 12.8 that we're legitimate sons and daughters of God, not bastards. Right? Not cast-offs, not no rights, no privileges, I forgot who you are, but legitimate sons and daughters, adopted, called according to his name and purpose. Romans eight fourteen through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, not even slaves, but sons. And when you come to know Christ, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. Provided we, not you, not me individually, but we suffer with him that we may also be glorified with him. I'm going to come back to that. We're legitimate sons and daughters, and as a good father, the Lord wants us to share in his holiness. This is what it's like. Discipline's not pleasant. You know that, right? Everybody knows that. Everybody's had parents who either did or did not discipline them, and not being disciplined is its own form of severity, right? Not being disciplined is its own problem. But we don't like it. We don't like discipline. But discipline's not just punishment. We said that. God is wanting us to be purified. He's wanting us to be sanctified and cleansed for our good and for the good of those around us. He's doing this so that we'll gain. So what does it look like when God disciplines us for our good? Think about parents. Uh, If you are children, anybody here a child? Anybody been a child in their life before? Good. Think about parents. Think about a time when your parent told you no. I'm going to give you a great example of a parent telling a child, no, it happened about an hour before I came here. My daughter came up to me. No joke. I'm not inventing this for the sake of the sermon. She said, can I put egg yolks and strawberries and olive oil on my hair? And I said, no. And she started to cry. And the reason that she was crying is because she had a friend over and her and her friend had been looking for something to do, right? And they had been bored outside in the backyard and they'd been bored in the house. They'd been bored all over the place. And now her friend says, hey, I've got this great idea. It's like a face mask, only it's a hair mask. And you just put egg yolks and olive oil and strawberries in your hair. And it's great for your hair. And she's 14. She's very wise. And, and my daughter, who's 12, looks up at that 14-year-old wisdom and says, that sounds amazing. Let's go ask mom and dad. And I'm a terrible parent, right? Because I say no. And she suffered. She literally broke into tears because there was nothing that she could do with her friend. Now, obviously, it's easy to see why that is a kind of foolish thing, right? But here's the truth. Tonight, on the menu at the Havman House are scrambled eggs and strawberries for dinner. No joke, that's what we have in the house. That's what we were going to make for dinner. So if we let her do this, it is at the cost of her own meal. She can't see that. She didn't know that. I knew that. Not only did I not want her making a mess in my kitchen with olive oil and eggs and everything else, but I want her to eat dinner. God disciplines us for our good. Not only does he tell us no for our good, but even the pain and suffering are for our good. Even the things that we can't see, we can't even conceive, how could this be good, God? He wants us to share in his holiness. His holiness yields righteousness. Sharing in God's holiness leads to righteousness. It's painful and it's easy to forget in the pain that it's valuable, but we need to remember that this purification, this discipline is really valuable. Lots of you guys know uh, that in um, Ephesians chapter 5, we get this list of the fruit of the Spirit, right? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Excellent. Those are great. How many of you know what happens after that verse, 522 and 523? I'm going to tell you what happens after. We hear that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, verse 24. They are, in other words, disciplined disciples. Verse 25 goes on to say that by living in the, in the Spirit as disciplined disciples, as legitimate children, they keep in step with the Spirit. 
And then verse 26, it says, to not become conceited, therefore, provoking and envying our brothers and sisters. That's kind of an odd turn. Like, why that turn? Okay, I get it. Uh, we're being disciplined for our good. God's a good father. We've got this faith that we're trying to follow, abide by. Why this turn? Well, nope. There we go. No? I've stopped working. Anybody? Oh, wait, there we go. It's because he wants us to endure with the body of Christ. We can obviously miss out on the holiness of God by attacking our brothers and sisters, right? But we don't just need to not attack them. We also need to work with them. How many of you are actually from the Midwest? I know that in this congregation, that's not always... All right, we still have a majority. All right. In the, Med, in the Midwest, there's this thing, right, where you suffer silently and you don't tell anybody what's wrong with you. This is the thing. This is something that we do. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want other people to feel bad for us, right? If there's a flood, we'll think about telling other people. We'll think about it, right? But we would prefer for the news to just announce it and then everybody knows and we didn't have to go out and say anything. We're to suffer discipline with the body of Christ because it's God's plan that we work together to be glorified together with him in glory. Look at these verses here in verse 12, 13, 14. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what's lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. We'll, we'll get to Esau in a second. This looks like we're talking about individuals. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. But Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. It's written to people, not persons, right? So this is to them collectively, do this together. Be strong. Make sure that you aren't putting out of joint, that you aren't actively destroying, but also make sure that you're striving for peace with everyone and that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that the weak are being helped along. So God designed this for our good. The, um, the race can't be run by itself. Uh, I'm sorry, the foot can't run the race by itself. The hand can't run the race by itself, right? All the parts are needed to run the race together. The discipline that brings us holiness should be shared with our brothers and sisters because, remember, it produces uh, holiness, right? And holiness, righteousness, and that's good for us our mutual edification. We can't impart holiness to each other, right? I can't make Bo holy or Joe or Brooks. I can't give them my holiness. Only God can do that through Jesus. But we can share the fruit of his holiness in our lives, and that helps the other around us who's suffering. We can also make sin our common enemy. Let's skip that one. There we go. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? We know this. We know that this means sinners and pagans. You're reminded of this uh, from the pulpit, from this pulpit. It's not that those people out there in the world, the people that are driving their cars past right now, it's not that they are our enemy. It's that sin is our enemy. We know that the absence of, right, or the rejection of God's will is our enemy, that the devil and his angels are our enemies, but it's not people. Yet we can't just know that we have to work with our fellow brothers and sisters to root out the bitterness that grows up and the sexual immorality and every other form of evil, right? We have to work to purge those from us altogether because the whole body is in danger of the same temptation. The whole body is in danger of idols. The whole body is in danger of all kinds of things that would distract us and destroy us. 
Let's go back to Esau. The author of Hebrews brings up Esau here. He says, make sure, right, that no one is is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Why Esau here? What is it about Esau? What's he doing? Well, even though God told Rebekah that the younger child would serve the older, Esau was still born older. Esau was still born with a birthright. He stood to inherit everything, and he sold it for one thing, right? For a meal. He said, I'm hungry. I'm going to give away everything that God gave me, and I'm just going to have my stomach fed. And he was suffering. Was he not? Right? It was hunger. It wasn't great suffering. But that's our temptation. That's the the temptation that faces the whole body when we're suffering to say, God, I know that you've got that good gift of holiness for me, but man, holiness doesn't sound great. Food does, right? Holiness doesn't sound great. A job does. Peace does. Any number of other things do. So we're in danger. Make sure that we do not let each other fall into danger, the author of Hebrews is saying, because all of these things are idols, Now, I mentioned being a Midwesterner before. This may be the most personal I get tonight. We've got a short time. You're not going to see me again. So this is it, right? Ready? You ready to be offended? Your silent suffering can be an idol when you say, I would rather not appear weak, right? I would rather not appear weak. That is the thing that I would rather not have. That's more important to me than the holiness of God. Don't suffer silently. God gave you the entire body of Christ to support you. He wants you to be knit together. He wants you to work together. Don't suffer silently. When we do suffer silently, when we do choose our own fulfillment instead of the Lord's discipline, when we reject that, it is a form of idolatry. And it's like saying, Lord, I don't want to suffer with your body, I'm not your child. Your body is not my body. I don't worship you. I don't want your everlasting life. That's the implication. So discipline is hard. Suffering's hard. We endure suffering so that we might be disciplined, and God has given us people of faith from many generations, witnesses, to remind us that this hard race can be run. He wants us to be holy. That's great. We're not to suffer alone. Okay, God, good, wonderful. What if our faith is a mess? What if we say that we believe, but we haven't picked up a Bible in forever? We have a Bible app on our phone, and if we check our screen time, right, it never gets used. What if our relationship to the Father is complicated? What if we don't really like God, right? We're not big fans, Saw the, the Old New Testament, uh, saw the Old Testament, didn't like it, read the New Testament, got bored, left, right? Done. What if our relationship to the body is broken? What if you've been to churches where people know that they're supposed to be together, they're supposed to be knit together, and they reject that, and they're mean to one another? That is the reality of suffering for many of us. So I said that there were three reminders when I started speaking to you. I said that um, our faith, right, was supposed to help us in suffering. Um, I told you also that the legitimacy of our sonship or of being sons and daughters is important because it means that discipline is for our good. I said that God gave us the body to work together. That's all true. And it's also true, really, that there's only one reminder here. 
And that is, you might expect, right? We are in church after all. Jesus. In Hebrews, there's only, or there's over, I'm sorry, I think 19, 20 times where the author says, therefore, 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 therefore. And it all amounts to, it doesn't always say therefore Jesus, but it all amounts to therefore Jesus. And in fact, in this passage in chapter 12, it does say, therefore, look to Jesus. So our faith is a mess, we should look to Jesus. Our relationship to the Father is complicated and possibly even dispacing. Sorry, I apologize. Look to Jesus. In our relationship to the body, it's broken. We should look to Jesus. Why Jesus? Well, because he does it perfectly. Because he does everything that we are supposed to do, and he does it in a way that we can do, because not only is he God, he's man. He does everything that we're supposed to do and everything that we can do with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. This is the core of our faith, right? Jesus is alive. Though he walked the earth 2,000 years ago and he was killed, he rose from death and he lives still. You have to believe that. That's strange. That's weird. We don't talk about it enough as Christians. Who do you believe in? I believe in a guy who died 2,000 years ago, but he's still alive, but you can't see him, but I love him. We should talk about that more because it's weird, right? We should normalize Jesus. He's coming back. It gets weirder. He's coming back on a white horse. The blood runs high on the horse's flanks. It's not pretty. You should read Revelation sometime. Read Daniel. It's also true, right? This is the core of our faith. Are you suffering? You need to know that faith. God gave that to you for your reassurance. Read the scripture that he's given you. If you're still suffering... Believe on the fact that the Lord Jesus, who is also God's son, suffered and died. Because that's what he's calling you to do. Suffer and be willing to die, be willing to give up this life for the life that he has to come. Know you're a legitimate child. Know that that discipline will bring you holiness. And know that all of these people right here, know that this person right here, know that another couple hundred people that meet in North Liberty on Sunday morning, right there, and many other churches in this city are here for you, right? They are here to work with and alongside of you, to bind up your broken places, to help you when you hurt, to come alongside of you when you suffer. Don't continue to suffer by yourself. It does you no good. It actually gets in the way, not only of you, but of also the people around you. They can't help you. When we were in the hospital with Mariah, my daughter, it got to be where there weren't many things that people could do to help us, right? The hospital, the children's hospital does an excellent job of caring for needs. Uh, The Dance Marathon organization is amazing. They do so many good things for families. So there weren't many physical needs that we needed met. But we still needed to give those people around us an opportunity to serve because God made them to serve us. That's the relationship he designed for us. And by letting them in, we allowed the love of God into our lives in ways we couldn't expect. This is how we look to Jesus, right? Jesus, through the church, through the body, is living living in all of us. His Holy Spirit is enabling us to live like him. So it's not just read the Bible more. It's also understand this about yourself. It's also look at your neighbor and understand that Jesus is working in and through them. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. That should be obvious. I do a lot less of this than some people who preach, right? But this is valuable to me. 
because this is something that I struggle with. I probably, like many of you, am faced with suffering and I think I can handle this, but I can't. And even if you know that you can't, it can still be hard. So if you would, let's wrap it up. Let's pray and ask that God would help us to look to Jesus, whether we're good at it or not, every single day. Holy God, I thank you and I praise you for this faithful word. I thank you and praise you because you have shown us that suffering, which is incomprehensible, is possible through the power of your Holy Spirit and when it's according with your Father's will. You've shown us, Lord, that not only can we endure suffering, but that we can expect life everlasting. That that's true and that that's real. And that you've given us people, brothers and sisters, who can help us to get there because the days seem very long. Lord, help us to look to you in ways that we're not seeing right now, whether it's in your word or in your body, whether it's just the knowledge that you love us enough to discipline us, that you're a good father, that you want to purify us so that we can share your holiness. Guard us, Lord, against sin and help us to fight it together, I pray in your name. Amen.